I'm really happy to be here this morning to be able to talk to you. The first Sunday after Christmas and the last Sunday, as Mitch said, of 2015. So that must mean it's an important Sunday. Um, I trust that you all had a very good time uh, celebrating Christmas, celebrating Christ's coming and being with your families. And I'm happy to be back here with my family, but also here with you all this Sunday morning, my church family. Uh, If you don't know me, uh, my name is Daniel Dominguez, and I grew up in this church, and I have finished my degree at Ozark Christian College, and I'm now doing a children's ministry internship in North Carolina at Pinedale Christian Church. So part of my internship was going on a mission trip with the church. They do a lot of mission work. They're a very big church. So that afforded me the opportunity to go with them. And that attracted me to the internship when I was looking at internships. This one, I got to go on a mission trip. So I said, I want to be there. So I went to Zimbabwe this uh, past October. I was there in Zimbabwe for 10 days. So I'm going to share a little bit about that trip with you, some history of Zimbabwe, um, what it's like for Christians living in Zimbabwe, and then what we all can learn from that. Um, So if you would all pray with me, we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this church, for this church family, um, for this church body to do your work, to go out into the world, to be your feet, to be the light in a dark place. God, thank you for the mission you've given us. Thank you for the mission of telling people about your son Jesus and Uh, the the change he can make in our lives. Um, Be with us this morning as we think about our brothers and sisters in Africa. Please be with them as uh, they enjoy Sunday and a day of of worship and rest. Um, Be with us as we go about our weeks, as we start this new year. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, Zimbabwe, if you've never heard of it before, it's a small landlocked country in the southern part of Africa. So uh, someone even mentioned this morning like, oh, you went to Africa, oh no, Ebola. But actually, that country is about the size of Texas. So we think of Africa as being kind of smaller, being about the same size as the U.S. That small country is about the size of Texas. So the distance from me to any Ebola in Africa was about the distance from us to Anchorage, Alaska. So it was all good. And I've we only heard about Ebola or about any health risks as we were going in and out of the airport, but even thinking about just what life is like in Africa, they're much less mobile than we are, so they never leave like a 10-mile radius of their home, so very, very non-threatening area, but Zimbabwe is small, it's landlocked, it, it's still the size of Texas, it's, it's big to them, pretty small to us, just the size of one of our states, but that is, that is where we went in Zimbabwe, we were in the southern part of Zimbabwe near the South African border, and we went uh, to a small village called Mushayamunda Village, and we went with an organization called Mushayamunda Christian Development Fund, and that organization um, is based out of the U.S. It was started by brothers who grew up in the village, and they came to the United States. They're a pretty affluent family for that area. They came to the United States, uh, got an education, and they started this uh, this development fund, this development trust to better the lives of their people in the village. And so through Christian education, through uh, mission trips, through agriculture, they've installed wells and drip irrigation systems. They've really bettered the lives of, of people in the village. And 
I think in mission work that I've seen, I've never seen people who take what they're given and work so hard. They just they work it, not not to death, but they work it and they make it work for them, and they can uh, take just one small thing that they're given and use it to benefit so many. They're they're very thrifty. Um, it, they were we were over there and they were like splicing extension cords and like using the wires and everything. Nothing that I would ever do like mess with, but they were like rigging up a whole bunch of stuff and like got a projector to work that had been broken. They're they're very um, very resourceful. So when they're given one thing, they use it for like a hundred different things, which was really cool to see. But the these brothers, the Mushai Munda brothers, their last name is Mushai Munda. Uh, they have started this development fund, and that's what we went there for. So Zimbabwe, um, when it was colonized, it was called Rhodesia. This is the Zimbabwe flag, but when it was colonized, it was called Rhodesia. And I don't know what the odds are, but when I was flying from North Carolina, I had a layover in Washington, D.C. on my way to Kansas City. And from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City, I sat next to a lady who lived in Branson, but from age 10 to 20, she lived in Rhodesia when Zimbabwe was Rhodesia. So we got to talk about that, and not many people have heard of Zimbabwe or know a lot, know a lot about Zimbabwe, but this lady had lived there when it was Rhodesia, so that was cool to talk to her. Um, it was uh, colonized by the British people, and it's really easy to think of the negative parts of colonization, and especially as post-colonial freedom-fighting Americans, we have a pretty negative view of what um, being colonized means and uh, really elevate independence. But Zimbabwe is a, a good example of the benefits that colonization can bring. Colonization by the British brought a lot of stability and ep- economic growth. And in 1965, when they started their war for independence, a lot of that left and has never been regained by the Zimbabwean people themselves. So they were in a war for independence from 1965 all the way to 1980. And now they are the Republic of Zimbabwe and their president is President um, Mugabe, is his name. And we were told explicitly when we went there, you were not to have any political conversations with any Zimbabweans, not for our safety necessarily, but for their safety, because um, President Mugabe is the only president they've known since 1980, so they have, like, terms, and he's been elected, and they've gone through re-elections, and he won again. So it's all a very corrupt system, um, and... For them to have that conversation with us is very dangerous because they don't know who's a spy, who's listening in. They don't have a lot of the liberties of freedom of speech that we do. Thankfully, President Mugabe has allowed uh, freedom of religion so they can practice and worship freely. And even their education is very Christian-based. And they learn about the Bible in school. They have Bible classes in college. Part of you graduating and getting into a degree program somewhere is having a proficiency in the Bible though most of them don't have a physical Bible. They still learn about it and have to pass a really hard test on it. So we are a very free country, and I'm very thankful for that, yet our education system is not Christian. And they are a very oppressed country, yet their their education is Christian. So it creates an interesting dynamic when you go there as an American and as a missionary to go and work with these these people. Um, Zimbabwe has been called the jewel of Africa. This is... Victoria Falls, one of the seven natural wonders of the world. You might recognize it from the opening scene of The Lion King when they're they're doing all that jazz. They show a lot of animated shots of 
Victoria Falls. This is on the eastern border of the country, so I didn't get to go see Victoria Falls, but that's what it looks like, I'm told. Um, this is what most of the country looks like. It was the jewel of Africa. It was the breadbasket of Africa. Zimbabwe was the largest producer of wheat in Africa, something that we can relate to here, being the breadbasket of the United States. That's what Zimbabwe was known for, and they had huge farms, huge plantations, a lot, a lot of agriculture, but when um, the British pulled out after independence, a lot of the large landowners and farms were owned by white people, and they left with the British because of um, a lot of complicated things, uh, politics, race, global economics, they pulled out. So there are none of those, none of those large farms anymore. Now it's subsistence farming, that they're just trying to live off of what they can grow if they can get seed. We took over a huge 50-pound suitcase full of seed, of just seed packets, because that's what they need. They need to be able to grow food, so we took a lot of seed over there with, them, with us, and they were very thankful for that. Um, Zimbabwe still has a lot of wildlife in wildlife parks. One thing that we don't always think about as Americans, we're like, oh, you know, the, the wild uh, lions and, and, and zebras and baboons and everything. Well, they don't want those things to be wild, which would make sense, right? You don't want a lion roaming around in your backyard. So an interesting thing about uh, animal conservation and animal rights that that's all fine and well, but it, when it's in your backyard, you have a totally different view of it. And they would like to keep those lions and the baboons and everything in the wildlife park because they can be really dangerous. We were going through, this is at a wildlife park. These uh, zebras aren't just roaming around. But we went through a wildlife park and we saw these baboons and they weren't in any sort of cage. They were just kind of running around. And we asked um, one of our translators that was with, with us, we asked him, are the baboons dangerous? And he said, well, you can fight them. We're like, oh, that's reassuring, I guess. Like, they, they, they can hurt you, but you can fight them. So they, they do have really beautiful wildlife. This was at the park, and this was taken from a bus. We were in the bus, but that man is standing in between two fences. He's standing there, and there's lions on either side, and he's there to distract the lions when the man who's in charge of opening up the gate to let the buses into the park has to open the gate. That man distracts him so the lions don't get that guy. But he said the man, when he was opening up the gate for us, there was a car coming out. We were going in, and there were like three lions right at the gate. And the man came up to us, and he said, how much money if I touch one of the lions? And we're like, uh-uh, we don't, we don't want to be a part of that, because if it's our money that gets you killed, that's going to be really terrible. So, no, we don't want you to touch the lion. Don't, don't get close to the lion. So that guy rattles the fence, and hey, 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 over here. And the lions are like, oh, let's go over there. And then they open the gate and let you in. But it was, it was pretty crazy to be close like as close as we were to those, those lions, their growl, their roar is so huge and so powerful. Like from the opposite side of the park, we heard two males fighting over a female, and it just like shakes. I mean, it just like rattles your bones it, of how deep and like the reverberation of it is huge, and you can just feel it from a really long ways away. They're big, powerful, scary creatures. This is a typical home where we were. This is uh, just a small hut. They're made out of clay bricks that they bake themselves. They make them out of mud, and they bake them, and they build houses like this with thatch roofs, which is something borrowed from the British people, but because of the dry climate, works really well in Zimbabwe. And one property, one family might have two or three of these huts, one kind of where they sleep, one where they cook, um, one for 
maybe an animal, if they have goats or chickens, they'll put those in there at night because while they, they have a lot of wildlife parks, there's still leopards that are in the area and that are very dangerous and still kill people and kill livestock. So they protect themselves and their livestock as well with these, these huts. This is a school. It's an average school, but a pretty nice school. You can see they have numbered rooms there. We were there. We went and did VBS at five different schools. And you go to the school and you ask like the, the headmaster, one of the teachers, how many students do you have at the school? And they, they give you a ballpark number, but every teacher you ask, it's a different number because they don't really know who's coming on any given day. If you have the money, you come. If you have the uniform, you come. If you don't, you don't. So they would give us a ballpark number like, well, we have 193. Like, okay. And then someone else would say, 251. Like, okay, well, we'll just go with an average number, I guess. But school is such an important part of their lives. I can't, I can't overemphasize the, the role that education plays for them because they, it's where they can learn about God. If they don't have a church close to their home, they have a government-run school close to their home. And close is like maybe five miles. They get up and they start walking at like four in the morning. They're going to start walking to school. And that's the, the highlight of their life, really, that they can go to school. If they're lucky enough to be able to afford going to school, to have the, the tuition money and the, the money for supplies and the money for a uniform, that's, that's their whole world. And, and it opens the world up for them because now in Zimbabwe, unemployment rate is at 90%. Ours is in a single digit, and it moving, you know, in America, if it fluctuates a half a percent, that's a big deal. Theirs is 90%, so 91, 92, not a big deal to them, but there, there aren't really jobs. But if you do well in school, if you can afford to go to school, if you do well on your uh, exit exams out of high school, and you are in a college program or a training program, that that means so much not just to you but to your whole family because now your family is depending on you. And a lot of young men then leave Zimbabwe to go to South Africa. That's the, the economically stable country in Africa to go to South Africa and get a job there. And then they're always sending money back. So education plays such an important part in their lives and in a community's life because one person could be supporting like 10 people, two families, my family and my friend's family or my large extended family, education plays a, a really big role in their lives. And you can't tell from the outside, but um, they, they, they do things very differently. This is their school bell. It's like this metal, that little metal bar and like this metal can. They're like old car parts or something. That, that's their school bell. They take that out and they ding that and all the kids just run up and they'll, they're standing straight lines. They're very organized. They're very proud to be at school. They know what that means and the sacrifice it means that someone else is making so that they can be at school, which isn't something that we always think about when we're going to school. Um, and those are bathrooms in the background. If you see those little things in the back, background, those are their bathrooms. This picture really summarizes school in Zimbabwe. It's very crowded. These are, these are classrooms. There's about 200 kids that they'll fit in a room that size, which our overflow room, it's a little bigger than our overflow room that they're, that they're fitting in.
But they, they packed those kids in there. And we, we brought a lot of supplies with us, and we did some crafts with them in our day of VBS. And a lot of these kids had never colored before. We had crayons, and they were doing, like, making a little craft, and they were coloring it. And a lot of them had never colored before. They don't have, they don't have crowns. They don't have a place to go buy crowns. They don't have money where they can go buy um, the, the, you know, the stuff to color with. So one of the teachers was calling it shading. When he was translating, we could tell he was calling it shading. And we're like, actually, it's coloring, but we get what you mean. And the kids knew what he meant, but we thought it sounded funny that he was calling it shading because he had never really colored before either. But these kids, when you hand them a, a crown or two crowns, they're like, oh, my gosh, thank you. And they're just, like, coloring away. And even high school and older middle school kids, they take, take such care when they're coloring because they, they never get to do that. But the, the kids are so well-behaved, and they're so attentive and so respectful. It's really amazing to see how much they value what they're doing, and they value the teaching. And whatever you're telling them, they're just hanging on your every word. You can never say something wrong to them because they're so appreciative that a visitor is there and an American visitor is there. This village is out in the boonies. Like, Troy is kind of, you know, who comes visits to Troy, you know? Well, when somebody would come and visit their village and visit their school, that means a great, a great deal to them. This is their church building that the Christian Development Fund helped to build. And this is one wing of it. You can see it kind of goes off into another wing. That's where they'll build a judicial center because the, the head family sort of acts as a judge, like a magistrate, in the village as well. So they'll build a judicial center onto the church, and it functions as a church building for the, a, an immediate group and then as a community center for the larger group. So the center is what they call it, and it's really the hub of a lot of activity in the area. We went to a youth rally that they had, and it, not just the youth came, it was kids, it was like little kids, the teens that they were really focusing on, and their parents. Like everybody came. No matter what you're offering, everyone's going to come because they want to be there. So if you call it a kids event, well, the kids are going to come, but all the parents and all the teens are going to come too. And if you call it an adult event, all the adults are going to come, but they're going to bring their kids and their teens too. So life really revolves around the church and also around the school. Those are their two big institutions in their lives. Um, also, Wells and water is a big part. The, the Development Trust has installed uh, about six pumps in the area, six of these smaller pumps in the area. A few of them are run by solar power, and the, the water is pumped up to a larger tank that sits high on a hill, and that um, disperses water to different houses in the area. So they have running water at some houses and in some areas, um, but if not, you go to those pumps and... You see some, some boys and some girls there. That's largely a woman's job to go and get the water or the kids go and get the water. I went with some of the kids to one of these pumps, and I said, I was telling them, I, I want to I pump the water. I was like, you can tell, like the, all these women were there. I said, you can tell the women to take a break. I want to I wanna pump the water. So I filled like four of those five-gallon buckets. I was done. I couldn't do any more. I was like, tell them that they are very strong women because I'm done. I can't do any more. And they had like five other buckets left. I was like, my, my arms are sore, you just all the way up, all the way down. And they, they thought it was funny that I was pumping water for them. This is one of their, their gardens. The, the Development Trust has established three of these gardens as well as two widow gardens. So how this works is the, the church owns this land, 
and they will give a row or a plot to a, a person or a family, and then in the widow's plot, that's, that's for a widow where she can go. Um, they get this plot, this row, and they get the seeds, and it's their job to take care of it. So the church is providing you with the land, with the water, and with the seeds, and you take care of it. And, and, and that is, that's life for them, because there's 90% unemployment. You don't, have a, you don't have a job. Your husband probably doesn't have a job, or your husband is off in South Africa, and he's working, and he might send some money back to you, but it's not like you can go to the grocery store. So that money is probably for your child's education, and it's dependent on you to bring food into the home, man or woman. You have to find something to eat and survive, and they do that through these gardens. And they have these large water tanks. This is a big water tank that's in the middle of the garden, and they've established drip irrigation, and they've had Americans come over, uh, a man named Johnny Sides, he actually owns a landscaping company, he came over and he showed them how to drip irrigate and set all this up. They had some engineers come over and work this all out so that this is a beautiful garden. The, wa- the garden is watered through this tank and uh, through good old-fashioned buckets of water. So the women will go down to the river nearby, they'll fill up those buckets, and then they carry them on their head. The women carry everything on their head and... It's amazing. We saw this uh, an an older woman by the side of the road, and she had two. They were at least ten foot long. Two logs on her head. They were like crossed on her head. She was just standing there, like by the side of the road, like waving at us. We went by, and we were like, "Wow! Like I can't. I don't. I can't carry a book on my head, let alone a bucket of water or two ten foot logs." It was amazing. Their their work ethic and and how how they treat work. They they love going to the garden, and that's that's. Such, um, such a, a, a time of community and of celebration. And when, then when we went and visited the garden, the women all stopped their work. They all came together and they started singing songs and they were praising God and thanking God for the garden and thanking God for bringing us there and that, you know, that the, the missionaries had come to help support them and would bring stories of, of God there in the village back to America. So they... They get together all the time. They're always together, but they're always praising God and, and thanking God for everything that they have. The, the people in Zimbabwe are, are wonderful, too. They're, the kids, the kids are, are beautiful. They're, they, they learn English in school, so they know how to say some English words. They'll run up to you and say, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? That's just the, like the phrase that they've learned in school. So they run up and they're like, hi, how are you? And you're like, I'm good, how are you? Hi, how are you? They, they, that's all they know how to say, but they, they love coming up. And for a lot of the little kids, uh, missionaries come once every four or five years, but for a lot of the little, littler kids, they hadn't seen a white person before. They'd only seen the, the black Africans that they live with. And so that, that was scary to some kids. They would just like freeze in their tracks and they're like. And then for a lot of the older kids, they, they've seen missionaries or they're just like, you know, teens and, and girls and boys here and they would like kind of stand off the side and they'd be giggling if you walked up to them they'd blush and like oh and run off with their friends it was really fun interacting with the kids at the school um, this this was at the garden they they bring their kids to the garden and these women that are tending the garden if they have a baby they strap that baby to their back with a towel with a scarf they strap the baby to the back and they're off to work and the baby's like looks like it's like squished like to the side of the mom's back but 
they're comfortable there and that's where they stay all day and they might fuss a little bit and then just kind of hop around and the baby's like, oh, goes back to sleep. But the, the kids are with them all the time unless they're at school. This is at school and they love getting their picture taken and being able to show it to them on your camera. That, they don't get to see their ref- reflection a lot. They don't have mirrors. They don't have uh, cameras. Some of them have phones. A lot of them have phones actually, but they're not like a camera phone or an iPhone. It's like an older flip phone or a brick phone that they have, and they can do a lot more on it than they used to be able to. They didn't have phones. Now they have phones. That's a really big deal. There's a cell phone tower near the village in the middle of nothing where they're living in huts. There's a cell phone tower, and they, and they have cell phones. But they, they love getting their picture taken. This is a group of orphans that we went and, and visited, and they just kind of hang around together. They don't have moms and dads. Um, Less so now, but definitely the generation before these kids, um, AIDS really killed a lot of a lot of moms and a lot of dads and destroyed a lot of families of that generation. So there are a lot of orphans, and a lot of those orphans are are sponsored in school by the the Christian Development Fund, by the Mushaimunda Christian Development Fund. Uh, this was at a soccer tournament we went to that the church puts on, and these were kids that weren't old enough to play soccer, but they were hanging out and watching. Like I said, they can speak English, and a lot of boys these age, this age can speak English really well. And they have names like Lovemore, or Loveness is a girl's name, and Lovemore, or uh, Fortunate, or Wonderful, or Blessing, or if you're the youngest child, a lot of young, like the youngest child, their name is Last because they're the last kid, so their name's last. Um, we, gave, we would give like dum-dum suckers and balloons to them at the end of the VBS day, and they had probably never had a balloon before, but it's funny how instinctive it is what you do with the balloon. The kids just know you blow it up and you play with it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't tie it because they wanted to blow it up and let the air out. Blow it up and let the air out. And then I showed them, you know, when you stretch the mouth of the balloon and it makes a funny noise, it makes a real high squeal, they were like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And they were running around doing that in each other's faces. And they love the balloons. And part of, part of going to school, they, there are certain rules they have to follow. So this is a group of girls. And one of the rules is you have to keep, cut your hair short. And that's a hygiene thing, part of their uniform look that they like the kids to have in school. So they cut, they cut their hair short. So aside from their uniform, it can be hard to tell if it's a boy or a girl. But and then you ask them, and their name's Wonderful. And you're like, well, is that a girl name or a boy name? I'm not really sure. Uh, but then some of the phrases that they learn, like, hi, how are you? Another, this school, this school in particular that we went to, the kids all knew how to say, hi, my name is Wonderful, and I am a girl. Or, hi, my name is Lovemore, and I am a boy. So they knew how to tell people if they were a boy or a girl, which was helpful. Uh, this, These are kids with the craft that they had made with us. And uh, it says, trust God. And then in their language, in their language shown, it says Vimba Namwadi, which means trust God. And, and that's what they do every day of, of their lives. They trust God. And it's all about God. And I, through, through my phone, through technology and them having a phone, I actually can text them. And there's about six uh, teenagers and young adults that I talk to almost on a daily basis. They will text me and I'll text them and we can talk. And they want to know, how's your family? And what did you do for Christmas? And uh, tell, tell your friends hello. I hope they're doing well. They, they love um, knowing a Christian in America and knowing that someone is praying for them in America because 
they've never known that before. And they, they feel so, so alone in their world um, that they're so separated from anything. They're eight hours away from the capital, which eight hours drive time means a couple days of you walking. They're not, they're not going to get to the capital. Most of these people will never leave their village. They'll never leave their home. They'll stay there and they'll work to live and they'll trust God every day of their lives. But they love knowing someone out there in the world is praying for them. So I, I asked a few of them what they would want to say to Christian brothers and sisters in America. And one of the young pastors there, he's 23. He just finished his Bible college training. His name is Sheyu. And he said, tell, tell them to keep trusting in God and to keep believing in him. And uh, a young mother, her name is Chipo. She has two kids. She's a school teacher. And I asked Chipo, what would you want to tell people in America, Christians in America? And she said, tell them um, that I want to give them strength, that I'm imparting strength to them, that I want them to stay strong in, in what they know and what they're learning, and, and tell them to stay strong in God. And they sent warm regards and, and blessings to all of us, and they love they love knowing that there are other Christians out there in the world. So for us, um, and based on my experience there in Africa, I want to ask you to kind of sum up your year. This, the last Sunday of 2014, we're entering 2015. Think of this past year. Think of um, your highs. Maybe um, it was marriage or uh, graduating or a birth or a new job. You know, what were the highs in your life? Just, I mean, take stock in your mind. We don't take a lot of time to do this usually, to go back over things. We hear, like, the year-end, you know, the worst movies or the most interesting people. But what, what were the, the good things that happened in your life this year? I want you to think of those, and then I want you to think of maybe the lows in your year. What, what didn't go so well? What mistakes did you make? Um, what losses did you have? And, you know, what victories did you have? What, what did you do well? What do you think went well? What blessings did you receive? But what, what losses, um, what, what failures occurred in your life? We all, we all had those. We don't have to be shy about the failures and the loss that we experienced because we're, that's all pretty universal, that we go through hard times. What word would you use to describe 2014? Just get, get that in your head. What word? Was it, was it hard? Was it exciting? Was it learning? Was it a, a, accomplishment? Did, you know, what, what word, it could be anything, if you can boil it down to a word. Sometimes you can't boil it down to just one word. But what was 2014 like for you? And now I want you to, th- to think of what 2015 is going to be like. The choices you made in 2014 are going to affect your 2015. And if you're keeping track, uh, Back to the Future said that in 2015 we'd have hoverboards and we'd have food hydrators and we don't have any of those things. But what's your 2015 going to be like? Is it going to be? Is it going to be full of growth and and new things? Are you going to make those resolutions? Are you going to stick to those resolutions? Um, the choices you make are going to create positive momentum or negative momentum. In Africa, they feel those almost to a heightened level. That if they walk home alone at night, they they might get attacked. They might get mugged. They might get mauled. You know, all the, all these little choices that they make. Are, are affect them, but on like a much grander scale just because of the survival mode that they're living in. So what, what's your 2015 going 
to be like? What are you going to do in 2015? Um, I want to encourage you to make the goal of 2015 that you do everything for Christ. Um, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all for the glory of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, through Jesus. That whatever you do, you're going to do it for Christ, for the Lord Jesus, and you're going to do it giving thanks to God. That, that's, that's what I learned from the people in Africa, that no matter what you're doing, you're going to school, you're farming, you are taking care of your children, you're taking care of somebody else, um, you're going through an illness, you're going through a hardship, you're, you're losing somebody, or you're, you're experiencing something new, a new birth. They give everything to Christ, and they thank Christ for everything. They're doing it for His glory, because they don't, they don't have anything else. Um, one, one day we were, we were in uh, the home where we stayed, and they had, it, it looked like, we just thought it was soda. It looked like a two-liter thing of pop. And that's what we thought it was. And we poured, you know, there were people who were pouring like a big, you know, tall glass, just like we would pour a glass of pop. So they were pouring that, and they tasted it, and they were like, oh my gosh, that is not pop. And what it was like the syrup concentrate for pop. And they had poured that out and poured this big glass of this really concentrated soda mix. And there was like root beer and cream soda and just like cola. And so they, they like took a big drink of it, and they're like, Oh man, that's that's not pop. That's concentrated. You have to really dilute that, or you know you can't drink that. You'll be on a sugar rush for the whole week. But it, but it was so concentrated what we were drinking, and in Africa their faith was so concentrated. They they knew how how blessed we were, and they were very thankful that Americans coming from so much were coming to Africa where they have so little. But of the people who had been to America or had experience with Americans, they knew how deluded we can be too. That our faith, our faith, our attention, our time, our energy is split up in so many things, in, uh, in, in food, in our, in our cars, in our clothes, in our gadgets. You know, we dilute ourselves into all these things when we should be concentrating all of us in God that we should be giving all of our time, all of our energy, all of our resources to God. And we should be doing all of these things we endeavor to do through the Lord Jesus. And I want to encourage you that 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 be your goal for 2015. Maybe it's a, a weight loss resolution, but do it for the glory of God, that you are giving everything to God, that you are concentrating 100% of yourself in Christ and part of that means allowing God to take control. That you're giving Him everything, and He gets to He gets to dictate how your time, how your energy, how your resources are split up. And that can be a hard thing for Americans to do. Um, for Africans, it might be a little easier that that the things they have don't feel big to us, but to them they're huge. We were at church one day, and a man came up, and he had a bag full of of greens, of vegetables that he had grown. And he was coming there to give them back to the church because the church had given him a row of land and had given him seeds and he had a very good crop. And so he was coming and bringing more back to the church to say, thank you, I, I know God wants me to give this back to you all because of how he blessed me. And we're, we're so blessed here in America with what we have, what we own, what we can achieve, what we can acquire, what we can do. And 
if your goal in 2015, if your goal in your life is to glorify Christ, I think you need to ask yourself how you're using those blessings, how, how you're giving those back to the church, to the community, to Christians around the world. Um, the the sign-up sheet is going around. Maybe part of 2015 of you giving glory to Christ is signing up for something you've never signed up for uh, at church or doing something in the community you've never done, working with a group you've never worked before, but you know they need a Christian influence or they know, you know that they need just two extra hands, some manual labor. Um, one option I would like to present to you is sponsoring uh, a child overseas uh, not all sponsorship is created equal. There are a lot of places where they're just handing out money or they're handing out uh, candy, like you're not really sure what your, your money is getting. Um, through the Mushai Muna Christian Development Fund, I, I got to see how things are dispersed and that it's, it's really going to the school and those kids are there only because someone in America is sponsoring them because they lost most of their parents to AIDS or... They lost their mother to AIDS, and their father is working in Africa, but, but he, they haven't seen a parent in years. So, I, I mean, I've seen how, how important sponsorship and how important blessings in America are to them, how our choices and our goals and, and how we use our resources make huge impacts in the world. So maybe sponsoring a child in Africa is something you would like to do, is something you would be interested in, something... Um, God would be calling you to, and I want to present that to you as an option, that as a family, um, as an individual, if you want to adopt a child in Africa, um, I can help set that up through the Munda Christian Development Fund. They have um, a, a waiting list of, of orphans and children who, who want to go to school and who are eager to go to school, and um, the Mundas, the brothers that own, own the, the organization, they're very quick to offer you grades of your child, and, and we're going to get grades for your child, and here are your grades, and look how well they're doing. And it's like, you know, I'm sure they're doing well. I'm just glad they're at school. And at school, they, they get a meal, and they get a uniform. They have a change of clothes. Uh, school is a big part of their lives and a big blessing to them, and it can open up their world. And when you ask a lot of them, what do you want to be when you grow up? A lot of these kids, they, they want to be preachers. They want to be pastors. They want to be pilots so they can, they can travel and they can go to different places, or they want to be nurses, or they want to be teachers. Um, these, are, these are things that they can achieve. And they, they can become stable in a job as a nurse. That's a government position. The government will create that job for them. Um, they won't have to be unemployed. But, but through any employment, through any education, they know Christ better, and they're going to tell people about Christ too. So think, think back on 2014. Think of what 2014 was like for you, um, what are you, you going to change in 2015? What's going to be better in 2015? I, I hope you realize that no, no positive comes from your life that didn't come from God. Any, any positive momentum, any upward momentum you've created in your life had very little to do with you. That we as humans, the choices we make, the things we do, really only cause downward momentum and, and, and negative negative in our lives. We're, we're not capable of that good positive things outside of God. So whatever you, whatever you do in 2015, I want you to do it, do it all for Christ and do it in, in the name of Jesus. And I want you to give thanks to God because of what you have and how it's impacting people in your community, um, in your church, 
but also around the world. So uh, thank you for letting me come in and speaking with you. Um, I, I, love, I love missions work, and I love working with kids, and I'm, I'm happy to be doing that for God. So thank you for, for listening and, and being my church family that I know I always take with me when, whenever I go anywhere. I take my church family with me, and I'm always thinking about Troy Christian Church and when I can come back and share or when I can come back and be with you all again. So bow your heads with me, and we'll close. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our blessings. Thank you for the freedoms you've given us in America. Thank you for the freedom you've given us in our lives that we can that we can choose you, that you can work in our lives, that you can um, take, take our old selves and you can make them new. God, help us, help us to be new. Help us to be new in you. That as we enter this new year, as we enter 2015, we would be a part of you and we would be a part of your plan and the things you're doing around the world. Uh, please shape our lives, God. Please shape our community and, and please help us to reshape the world. We have a mission through you. Help us to accomplish that in our families, in our friends, in our enemies that we would accomplish the mission of Christ, of, of making Jesus famous around the world. Thank you um, for the faith of this church. Thank you for the faith of this body. Help that faith to spread. Help us to be um, infectious to those around us, that we would spread, spread faith and we would spread Christ to everyone we meet. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.